more than ever, people are fascinated by end-of-the-world scenarios, the end times, the mark of the beast on the unbelievers, and then maybe also the mark of believers, right? Uh, foreign armies coming from the north, descending upon Israel, uh, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this ominous future calendar event that's going to bring the armies of the earth uh, out to be immediately defeated by the God of the angel armies. We see this in the end of Revelation. Uh, but there have been many days of the Lord in that sense, many days where there have been awful events that have been predicted by the prophets, um, and, and they've been awful and, and terrible and cataclysmic, but not effectively, as it turns out, the, the day of the Lord. But back when Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided up among his four generals, um, the Seleucid Empire included the people of Israel. And one of their kings in succession was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he came into Jerusalem, stole the sacred temple items, and headed back north, <laughs> fulfilling the predictions. Two years later, he ravaged the whole city, tearing down the buildings, the walls, uh, taking away women and children and livestock. They made the holy city of Jerusalem into a fortress, and they defiled it. Uh, allow me to read some of the account from 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 34 and following. Maccabees is, is uh, in what we call the Apocrypha, or literature that we don't say is, is um, officially inspired, as far as, as, far as we know, but, um, but nevertheless really good for us. You'll find it in some versions of your Bible, like the NRSV, which I'll read from. Following these events, it says, They stationed there a sinful people, men who were renegades. These strengthened their position. They stored up arms and food, and collecting the spoils of Jerusalem, they stored them there and became a great menace. For the citadel became an ambush against the sanctuary, an evil adversary of Israel at all times. On every side of the sanctuary they shed innocent blood, and they even defiled the sanctuary. Because of them, the residents of Jerusalem fled. She became a dwelling of strangers. She became strange to her offspring, and her children forsook her. Her sanctuary became desolate like a desert. Her feasts were turned into mourning, her Sabbaths into a reproach, her horror into contempt. Her dishonor now grew as great as her glory. Her exaltation was turned into mourning. Then this king, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, that all should give up their particular customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king. Many, even from Israel, gladly adopted his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and to the towns of Judea. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and festivals, to defile the sanctuary and priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and other unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane, so that they would forget the law and change all the ordinances. He added, 
and whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. Now, this is predicted right in the book of Daniel. The people of Israel then are, are chased into the hills, and, and they looked everywhere for refuge. And in 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes IV put up a statue of Zeus, or likely Baal, um, the same kind of figure, it's the sky god, right? He put up that, that statue in the temple, on the altar of sacrifices. Again, predicted by, by Daniel as the abomination that causes desolation. First uh, Maccabees 1, uh, verse 60 and following, according to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's necks. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the holy company, covenant, and they did die. Very great wrath came upon Israel. And so I'll just insert that, that though some converted to pagan idolatry, others were completely opposed and willing to die rather than to give up their customs. Mattathias and his sons, most notably Judas Maccabeus, or the hammer, rose to strike back. We see in verse 14 of chapter 2, Then Mattathias and his sons tore their clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned greatly. The king's officers, who were enforcing the apostasy, came to the town of Modane and made to make them offer sacrifice. And many of Israel came to them, and Mattathias and his sons were assembled. Then the king's officers spoke to Mattathias as follows. You're a leader, honored and great in this town, and supported by sons and brothers. Now be the first to come and do what the king commands, as all the Gentiles and the people of Judah and those that are left in Jerusalem have done. Then you and your sons will be numbered among the friends of the king, and you and your sons will be honored with silver and gold and many gifts. But Mattathias answered and said in a loud voice, even if all the nations that live under the rule of this king obey him and have chosen to obey his commandments, every one of them abandoning the religion of their ancestors, I and my sons and my brothers will continue to live by the covenant of our ancestors. Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinances. We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left. When he'd finished speaking these words, a Jew came forward in the sight of, of all to offer sacrifice on the altar of Modane, according to the king's command. When Mattathias saw it, he burned with zeal and his heart was stirred. He gave vent to his righteous anger. He ran and killed him on the altar. At the same time, he killed the king's officer who was forcing them to sacrifice, and he tore down the altar. Thus he burned with zeal for the law, just as Phineas did against Zimri, son of Salu. Then Mattathias cried out in the town with a loud voice, saying, Let everyone who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant come out with me. Then he and his sons fled to the hills and left all that they had in town. Hmm. You see that zeal for the customs, right? Our apostle Saul, also called Paul, was the same kind of zealous man who had Phineas as his example of zeal. Remember, persecuting the church. He, he was going to 
honor the name and the customs of, of Yahweh no matter what. So, so what would the zeal of the Maccabeans accomplish? Well, Judas Maccabeus would, would go on to lead a revolution that would cleanse the temple. Yeah, it's, a, it's a celebrated in the festival of Hanukkah. And then he would establish a, a hundred years of rule over Judea until the Romans came. But with this dramatic backdrop, two centuries later, Paul is now working through this issue of circumcision and customs with the Gentile disciples of Jesus and dealing with the Jewish background disciples of Jesus as they struggle to, to know what it means to be faithful. You know, because to hold to the customs and the law was to remain faithful, allegiant to Yahweh. So who in their right religious mind would loosen the standards? <laughs> According to James D.G. Dunn, uh, for the great bulk of Jews, the link between Jew, Judaism, and circumcision was axiomatic. An uncircumcised Jew was virtually a contradiction in terms. Dunn, Dunn would say that it would have to take a clear indication of divine approval and tremendous confidence in the agreed judgment of leadership for such an epochal step and breach with unbroken tradition to be taken. I just want you to sense that. Wow, this is going to be a, this is going to be a big issue. The decision the early church would make here, says Dean Pinter, would shape who they would be, that's their identity, and how they would be together in unity. Allow me to read today's passage to you with this background as we think about what marks out a, a true believer. Acts 15, 1 through 11. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they were in Antioch. People from Judea came, argued with them. They go back to Jerusalem. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Just pause for a moment. Can you see why this would be so controversial? Circumcision in the law was what it had meant to be a faithful Jew. And now we have believers from the party of the Pharisees, a, a group that has the background that they are, they're Pharisees and now they believe in Jesus, but they still hold to the old customs. And we'll see in the future, they're going to put a lot of pressure on those who didn't keep to the law. So back to the passage, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's the, that's, uh, the centurion Cornelius and his family. 
or God who knows the heart, literally God the heart knower, <laughs> bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test and placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Quite a, a passage of, of conflict and discussion. We'll get to the rest of the passage and their decision later. But uh, one thing I want to do is just summarize something about the activity of God, revealing the character of God. And then we're going to talk about the mark of the believer. So uh, we see just before this passage in Acts 14, 27, that they had gathered the church together. They had declared all that God had done with them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's in Acts 14, 7. So we see that God opens all doors. And then in 15, verse 8, we see that God knows all hearts. That should encourage us, maybe slightly scare us. God is the knower of hearts. And God is the giver of the Spirit. God gives the Spirit. In verse 8 as well. Uh, verse 9, God makes no distinctions. He doesn't look at people and separate them, good and bad, clean and unclean. No, he actually, in verse 9, it says he's the one that cleanses the hearts by allegiance, uh, cleanses the hearts by faith. So clean and unclean, common and uncommon. Um, you go back to the Maccabeans and, and swine on the altar and and uh, and foods that are not even good to touch and, and eat, God says, that's the way I see about humans. I see that I am the cleanser of hearts by faith, by allegiance. That's hope for you and me, isn't it? And then verse 11, God saves by grace alone. It's a gift. It's a gift. So you just have a beautiful portrait of God. You see, see how God acts with his people to open a door, knowing the hearts, giving the spirit, making no distinction, cleansing the hearts by faith and giving salvation by, by grace. Tom Wright notes um, that in this passage, it's not as simple as let's go out with the old and in with the new. This is a very specific and concrete point, which is central to the whole of early Christianity. So I'm slowing down to discuss it. Central to the whole of early Christianity. Here it is. Precisely because God has fulfilled his covenant with Israel in sending Jesus as the Messiah, the covenant family is now thrown open to all without distinction. Dean Pinter would write, the crushing burden of the Mosaic law doesn't just refer to circumcision. After all, no first century Jew would regard circumcision in itself as a yoke. You know, like, oh, wow, look at the pressure of that. No. The issue of the burden of the law is one that pitted Jesus repeatedly against the Pharisees in the Gospels. You remember this, right? Jesus invites his hearers um, to change yokes. You know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And, and it's, it's the weary, not the strict Pharisees, who come to him. So who can come to Jesus? You know, who can come to Yahweh? In the Hebrew scriptures, we read about entrance into the covenant 
for anyone who believed in Yahweh. And, and they came in through circumcision and, and the law. Um, so many people of all sorts of ethnicities joined in. I mean, Egyptians alone coming out of Egypt with them. But, but then as they came along the way, lots of people joined in and, and submitted themselves to the law. But even then, it was wide open for those who would swear allegiance to Yahweh and come into the boundaries of the law and the covenant. But now it's even more wide open scandalously, obviously, uh, causing great dissension. But ethnicity wasn't a barrier in the past. But, but the entry point into the covenant is now fulfilled in Jesus. He is the gate. He is the way to enter. Specifically, the new covenant is now the blood of Jesus. And circumcision is replaced by allegiance to Jesus. We know that that's now shown in baptism as well. Antiochus, remember, he wanted to obliterate culture. We want one culture out of this. Jesus says, no, 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 I want to embrace it all. I think we need to hear that. It's, it's the evil king, the tyrant, who wants to obliterate cultures. It's Jesus who says, I want to embrace all those cultures. But you come through in allegiance to me as king. All nations, we see in Revelation, are, are represented around the throne. All cultures, not just one culture, but they are allegiant to Jesus the king. That's the faith that saves. Does that make sense? You don't have to become a Jew, or even this, or stop being a Jew to be faithful to Yahweh. You don't throw off your Jewishness. You don't put on Jewishness. It's allegiance to Jesus alone. Allegiance alone to Jesus alone that saves. Okay, Peter and Paul, Barnabas, how do you prove that? Well, exhibit A, the final exhibit. <laughs> exhibit A, the final exhibit. Here it is. The Spirit of God has come to dwell in his newly cleansed temple. Right? Think Hanukkah. Think Maccabees. Think you know, the, the pressure of, of expelling all of the unclean things and, and sanctifying the temple space. The Spirit of God has come to dwell in his newly cleansed temple. The multicultural family of King Jesus. And that's our, that's our proof right there. Again, it's allegiance alone to Jesus alone that saves. And the Spirit is the seal of that salvation. Hear me, church. The Spirit is the seal of that salvation. Salvation is not a human process. <laughs> Repent of any human processes. You've tried to, like, I'm going to get myself saved. No, it is not a human process. It is regeneration, born again, born from above, the indwelling spirit. Think John chapter 3. It's not a set of boxes that you check, but the regeneration that God does. Brand new, new creation. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. Remember, the problem is estrangement from Yahweh broken fellowship, our sin and enmity with God, that's the problem. So something needed to happen. Someone needed to happen to restore, to reconcile us to God. And that's the goal of our salvation is to be 
reconciled. Intimacy with the Trinity is the goal of our salvation, to be reconciled to God. His Spirit now dwelling in us and through us because we've been cleansed by God. All that we've said about God, no distinctions. He's, he he's gives the Spirit by grace through faith. Oh my goodness. To be reconciled to God is eternal life, the life of God's new age. And it starts now and lasts forever in increasing closeness to and enjoyment of God. Oh, that's eternal life, to know Jesus, yes. Paul would highlight this in his letter to the house churches in Rome. Um, and he was hoping to visit them. And he said it's all about the Spirit of God. Uh, we read this last week, but I'm going to go through it just a little slower with an emphasis on the Spirit. Because, pardon my pun, if you cut away the fleshy human parts of the salvation process and you ask, what's the proof of my salvation? You discover the work of the Spirit. So let's, let's look at his work of the Spirit in Romans 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in King Jesus. Christ Jesus, Christ the Messiah, the King, right? King Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in King Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we've operated according to a law that identified sin and brought us death. Identified sin and brought us death. But the death of Jesus, with, with our sin condemned in his flesh on that cross, filled that law to the full. It was full-filled. And so full that it runs over to us as well. Now we who are filled with the Spirit can fill to the full that requirement and live lives that overflow as well. You might need to pause and, and re-listen to that. But this is grace, not works. But it is a faith that works. Grace not works, but a faith that works. But the first thing we see, the Spirit works in us to bring the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom. It's, it's spreading through us and then out of us and in front of us and around us. Next, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So the Spirit works in us a mindset of life and peace. Raise your hand if you need that. Yeah, me too. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact, what? The Spirit of God dwells in you. That's the mark of the believer, right? The Spirit works in us to live lives that please God. If in fact the Spirit dwells in you. This is serious business. And I know some of you are asking, how, how would I know that the Spirit is dwelling in me? 
what if the spirit isn't dwelling in me? What if I've tried my processes and I, and I, just, I just have never really experienced that? Keep, keep with me. Passage goes on. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised King Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the spirit works in us to bring the dead to life. This is his process, his renewal, not something that you do. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But listen, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yes, I am. And if children, then heirs, inheritors, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the Spirit works in us, to witness to our adoption as heirs. The Spirit also works in us to help us maintain our allegiance, to walk with us in suffering, because it will come. Just like the Mattathias and his sons, it will come a point where you have to stand up for King Jesus. And it's allegiance to Jesus that cleansed their hearts in Acts 15.9. And in verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Allegiance to him cleanses your hearts, rescues you as a gift, that's the grace, and gives you the Holy Spirit. I think you're probably in one of two categories today. Maybe three. If you've tried to come some other way to God, other than faith in Jesus, allegiance to King Jesus, then you've tried to come in through a window instead of the gate that is Jesus. It will not be your effort that saves you. It's, your effort and your good works are only going to confuse you at this point. It's grace that saves you. It's faith that works. So, Maybe you've said prayers and, and you've walked the aisles and you still don't feel like you can call God the Father, uh, Abba, Daddy. Well, we need to talk. Seriously, you and I need to talk. Because it's the Spirit's job to reveal the Father's love to us. And I don't want you to miss out on this greatest of revelations. This, the goal of our salvation, the, the indwelling of the Spirit, which puts in a third group, those of you that experience this, right? The, the indwelling of the Spirit, the intimacy with God. I don't want any of you to miss out on that. So, so reach out immediately. 